0: Welcome to the Shmooz, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lise Newman, and today I'm visiting with Krista Whitney. Krista discovered Yiddish while studying comparative literature at Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts. She studied Yiddish language at the Vilnius Yiddish Institute and is an alumna of the Yiddish Book Center Steiner Summer Yiddish Program. Following her graduation, she was a Yiddish Book Center Fellow. During her fellowship, she worked on the launch of the Center's Wexler Oral History Project. And following her fellowship year, she became the director of the Yiddish Sen- Book Center's Wexler Oral History Project. Welcome, Krista. Hi. So fun to have a chance to uh, turn the microphone on you, as it were. Um, you're usually the interviewer. Right. So tell me a little bit about um, the Oral History Project and also your work.
1: Sure. Um, so the Yiddish Book Center's Wexler Oral History Project is an ongoing collection project. Uh, We have over 750 in-depth video oral history interviews um, at this point in uh, English, Yiddish, and a few other languages, all about different aspects of Yiddish language and culture in the past and present.
0: So the interview's that you conduct, the oral history, um, sort of follow, for lack of a better word, I guess, a a prescribed methodology, if I may. Um, Yeah. And I wonder if you can speak a little bit about that, because it's certainly different than what we normally do as a podcast interview, which kind of flows. But there's a real reason that you're committed to using that kind of formula.
1: Sure. So oral history uh, is, in addition to being sort of an ancient tradition, also an academic field with its own methodology, the way that historians and sociologists have different ways of approaching their field. In oral history, it affects the the interview itself. So the idea is that the oral historian is really a guide um, to uh, create a narrative and and I'd say the thing that is the most different is that the interview itself, the entire thing, becomes a document. So you're not pulling quotes or um, or using the interview as a basis for research, but that really is the end goal. And uh, that means also that that in an ideal oral history interview, you don't really hear the person asking the questions too much. It's really focusing on... Um, asking open-ended questions so that the person can narrate their own story and sort of take it in directions um, and that that they want to. Um, so so it it's it's not a natural uh, form of of question asking because you sort of have to sit on your hands and not respond. Um, but it does yield this sort of special. I would say, um, type of result where you really have someone just have tons of space, sort of we talk about holding space, you're holding space for that narrator to sort of work out their own narrative and reflect on their lives.
0: I'm very much in awe of your ability to allow that conversation to come out. Because like <laughs> um, you know me well enough to know I can't sit on my
1: head. <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely we talk about it being an art of oral history it, it's definitely something you have to cultivate and sort of um, we're, I'm always learning even eight years into this you know I learn from interviews one of the other
0: things that fascinates me because um, I will sometimes not always watch the interview but I'll put them on um, when I'm doing something around the house because it's a great way to just listen they're in depth and they're most of them are 90 minutes. But what's fascinating to me, and I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about this, is that you start off, I know you do a lot of research prior to the interview so that you sort of know how you want to navigate this. But there seems to always be a point where all of a sudden the narrator relaxes into it, and does it go in different directions?
1: What's that like? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think... You know, it's a video project, so there is a little bit of um, camera shyness and awareness um, that happens at the beginning of the interview. Um, We construct the interviews trying to sort of set a foundation, starting with someone's family background and childhood, getting them to sort of recall memories that are pretty easy to access. And then, yeah, often about 45 minutes in, halfway through, I'd say people have forgotten about the camera. They are sort of in this world of their memories. And um, yes, not every interview, but um, oftentimes there's sort of an opening up that happens partway through. And the collection
0: includes interviews with, as you've said, a range of people, ages, backgrounds, um, their engagement with Yiddish, with Jewish culture. But you have a mission and sort of a focus um, about the transmission of cultural heritage. And I wonder if you can speak with that a little bit, and then let's talk about your next project.
1: Sure. So really, we're we're looking in the broadest sense about asking the question, what is Yiddish culture? So that encompasses both what was Yiddish culture in its heyday, um, you know, in the 20s, 30s. And also, um, how is that developed today? So, looking at the legacy of that, you know, boom of Yiddish culture, um, so to speak, and also where does it, where where can you find Yiddish today in the world? And the
0: the oral histories are great, as I refer to them. I hope this is okay with you. They are great source material,
1: Absolutely. for
0: students for scholars for writers. I mean, we use them for Pock and Trigger, the magazine, at the Yiddish Book Center, and for other reasons. Um, but they also have become a source for you at the project in terms of building out a new collection, drawing from various and sundry oral histories for compilations, as well as very specific shorts. Um, so which brings me to um, what I hope everybody has heard about by now, um, a Kickstarter mm-hmm. campaign that you have to f- complete a short documentary film called Bela. And I wonder if you could talk about that.
1: Sure. Absolutely. So the the documentary short that we're working on is called Bela, the Artist and Her Legacy. And it's about Bela Schechter Gottesman who lived from 1920 to 2013. She was um, born in Vienna, grew up in Czernowitz after surviving the Holocaust, came and settled in a corner of the Bronx where she set up with a few other f- Yiddish-speaking families who really wanted to make sure to pass Yiddish on to the next generation. They set up sort of a micro-neighborhood, I like to call it, on Baybridge Avenue in the Bronx. It was right across the street from a Yiddish secular school, a Sholm Aleichem school. And um, so they created a Yiddish-speaking um, environment there. Bela... Um, started writing. She had always been a visual artist. Um, she studied art as a young woman in Europe. Um, and when she had young kids, she started writing poetry and song for them. And that, that uh, writing uh, continued after her kids grew up. And she's actually known most uh, well as a poet and songwriter. Her songs um, are still sung uh, all over the world. She taught in Germany, and so has some following there, um, as well as all across the U.S. and other corners of the globe. So the the film draws from her, an oral history we did with her, and also um, her descendants, her son and granddaughter, both of whom speak Yiddish, and sort of are continuing her legacy in different ways, as well as other people who knew her. Um, and the fun thing about this project is, as you say, you know, building on the Video interviews, which we're very used to in the Oral History Project, and bringing in Bela's visual art um, and other archival materials, amazing photographs of, of her with her family. Um, so bringing those components together to help uh, make make her story dynamic and relatable. And I
0: wonder how she's representative of a generation, and how also does her story speak to a larger narrative in terms of cultural transmission?
1: Sure. So she, I mean, she is of this generation that, you know, came to the US, I mean, of the Holocaust survivor generation, um, specifically, and she's representative in, uh, in a way of that journey. Um, you know, a lot of sadness and trauma in her lifetime, and then also a vibrant, cultural, uh, creative side. Um, in terms of the legacy, I think she exemplifies, you know, what is possible in terms of uh, in terms of a continuity uh, across generations. You know, she it wasn't easy. They worked hard to create this Yiddish speaking environment um, among this this group of families, um, and so we hear a lot of, of stories, and probably most people in their families think of, of how Yiddish didn't get passed down. And this is an example of one, one family that was able, and one woman who was able to uh, pass the language down and also share it out to a broader community. So to date you've
0: recorded well over 700 um, interviews. Yep. And I wonder how hard it was to come up with the idea of Bela I mean it must there are a lot of darlings in there um, absolutely as we say. yeah yeah
1: yeah um there's so much in there I'd love to keep I hope to keep making films I think um this story um was appealing because uh we do a lot of interviews with descendants of writers but um This one, we actually have the interview with the artist herself in addition to her descendants and people who knew her. So you get to have that strong voice and and it allows her to tell her own story in addition to other people reflecting on her work. And then, of course, working on any film, the visual is really important. So the fact that she was also a visual artist was very appealing um, in terms of uh, a film project.
0: So currently there's a Kickstarter campaign to raise funds to complete the film. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about that a summary and um, share how listeners can support the campaign.
1: Sure. So um, we have been working on this project for a few years, actually. And in order to complete the film, um, we have a few more interviews we want to do and a lot of editing. So we're, ra- we're trying to raise um, money to complete the film. We're using a Kickstarter so that people all over the world um, can give whatever they can and get some, also get some rewards in return. The way that Kickstarter works, you can get a tote bag or a copy of the film or a Yiddish Book Center membership or um, an invitation to a screening of the film once it's completed. Um, that all of, the, all of that information is over at the Kickstarter. Um, And we have until the end of October to raise the funds, or else we don't get anything. That's sort of the stressful uh, reality of of Kickstarter. It's an all-or-nothing fundraising, crowdfunding platform. So please go over there and give whatever you can. And and if you, after you've uh, pledged your support, you can share it with your network. It's yiddishbookcenter.org slash bailafilm. B-E-Y-L-E-F-I-L-M.
0: So org backslash Bela, B-E-Y-L-E-F-I-L-M. And you mentioned the rewards, but I want to tell you that having seen the trailer, Krista, knowing the work that you are all doing, it's a reward and enough if you can bring this to an audience. And I think it'll reach a really wide audience. It's, um, it's a great story and one that uh, speaks to a legacy. With Yiddish.
1: Thanks so much, Lisa. Thank
0: you for taking the time. I know you're kind of busy. All (laughs) right, so everybody out there, let's support the campaign and bring it home because it ends on again
1: October 31st.
0: Yeah. Thanks again, Krista.
1: You've been listening to The Shmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. My name is Natalie King. Administrative Assistant for the Yiddish Book Center's Wexler Oral History Project. For more information about this podcast, and to subscribe, visit yiddishbookcenter.org. While you're there, I recommend listening to episode 125, Lisa Newman's November 2016 conversation with Molly Yeh, an alum of Tent, and author of the cookbook Molly on the Range. Until next time, be well, be healthy. Sej